another show of Adventure DevOps. And with me, I have Jonathan Hall. Hey, everyone. And our guest, Anna Geller, who is the lead community manager at Prefect, which I'm pretty excited about because I actually use Prefect. Hello, everyone. I'm, I'm grateful to be on your, on your show, and thank you for inviting me. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood. I've been talking to a whole bunch of people that want to update their resume and find a better job. And I figure, well, why not just share my resume? So you, if you go to topendevs.com slash resume, enter your name and email address, then you'll get a copy of the resume that I use, that I've used through freelancing, through m most of my career, as I've kind of refined it and tweaked it to get me the jobs that I want. Uh, like I said, topendevs.com slash resume will get you that. And uh, you can just kind of use the formatting. It comes in Word and Pages formats, and you can just fill it in from there. So tell us a little bit about what you do. First of all, like what is Prefect? Uh, how did you get to be there? Any other kind of exciting tidbits you have for us? Yeah, sure. So um, I live in Berlin, Germany. So quite, it's quite cold right now here. Um, and I work as a lead community engineer at Prefect. Uh, before joining Prefect, I was doing uh, data engineering, uh, data science, um, Python programming, and data engineering consulting. And especially in consulting, I got often frustrated by the existing tools to build data workflows. And I started to look for alternatives. Um, and I wrote a couple of blog posts uh, about what I've learned along the way. And that's how I, how I started blogging and how I came across Prefect. That's great. And then was it like kind of a direct path? They asked you to be the, um, what, what is your exact title? Lead community engineer, right? That's the one. Exactly. Okay. Okay, cool. So was that kind of a direct path Then you became the lead community engineer at Prefect? Not at all. So at first I joined as a solutions engineer and there was a, actually quite a funny story that um, during KubeCon, um, our person who was um, maintaining this community support um, had to be at KubeCon and um, we, we didn't have coverage there. Uh, so I jumped in and it turned out that um, I wasn't too bad. And I just started doing uh, more of it. And um, yeah, I think that's how I got into community. In general, I think um, with community, the, the, the challenge is to, to, to provide help at scale. So kind of like my mantra is to earn users trust in a healthy way at scale. Because I think um, especially when, when your community grows, it's, it starts to become difficult to, to give people enough attention and support um, and, you know, the, some questions are repeated, so you get asked about the same thing uh, multiple times, uh, so it can become challenging. And I think that doing this in a really right way, in a healthy way, is, is difficult, and uh, I, th I found this challenge really cool. Yeah, I think that's really great. I mean, you guys must be doing such a good job, because I know uh, Prefect has really taken off just over, like, the last few years that I've seen it and that I've been using it, so it must be... You know, it must be going well. So what are kind of the, you know, the tips that you would say, what are some good directions to go in if you're like, okay, this is an open source software and you want to get the kind of visibility on it that clearly Prefect has because Prefect does have uh, an open source component as well, right, as well as the cloud. So what would you say is a good way to go about that? Yes, I think the best way is to really start with the problem that you are trying to solve 
And once you are clear about that, everything becomes um, more more obvious how you how you go from there. So I think in our in our existing space, we have so many tools that are uh, quite opinionated in what they allow you to do. So, for example, you may have um, a lot of tools that allow you to do um, data ingestion or data transformation, and they do it really well. But what's, what's often missing is this tool that is um, unopinionated and that gives you a choice how you want to build your data flows. And we usually when we, uh, when we say that Prefect is a tool that lets you coordinate your data flow, when we say coordinate, we mean this wide spectrum between observability and orchestration across teams and systems. So I think you can probably confirm that you've used it. What, what is your experience? Uh, yeah, I have used it and that is what, you know, what people like about it. They like that it's very open and that you can, you know, you can kind of throw almost any problem at it. So, you know, for example, I don't even use it just for orchestrating data flows like I do, but I also use it just generally as a scripting language because I find it very well designed. And, you know, when you're, when you have kind of complex, um, I don't know, we'll say ETL for the purposes of this conversation instead of having to write in all my own like logging statements like this is the you know starting ending did it end successfully try catch all that kind of stuff prefect has all that sort of built in there just by putting that task decorator on the function and then i get like all you know like the logging the monitoring um the scalability all that kind of thing directly uh directly out of the box so i, I have a question so, sorry to, to, to talk over you there um clearly jillian knows and uses this product, uh, which allows you to have a, a nice technical conversation here. I don't know what your product does. Like I'm looking at the website and it says an open source data workflow orchestration. I don't know what data workflow is or what or why it needs to be orchestrated. Uh, pretend I'm really stupid. Talk to me like I'm five uh, and explain to me and the, and the audience who isn't into data in layman's term, what, what is this and, and, and who should care about it? Yeah, so I think the, a good way to describe it is that we want to give our users visibility across the entire data stack. And why is it important, Jonathan asked? It's important because people working with data typically use various databases, data ingestion and transformation tools, um, tools for analysis and machine learning. And often they need a place where they can see how all those tools are working together. And they often need to ensure that those tools are working well together. And I think this is where this um, coordination plane becomes critical because it allows you to see what's the state of my data infrastructure right now. Is my data platform healthy? Are some agents or infrastructure components down? Did we miss some SLA on some workflows? Or maybe did our critical data warehouse refresh pipeline failed? And if you currently consider all those questions, you will realize that there is no single tool currently that can provide you with all those capabilities. For, for example, there are tools for platform engineers uh, to monitor uptime and SLAs uh, for infrastructure, right? Things like Honeycomb, Datadog, but there is really no such tool for data flows and data infrastructure, or at least I would say not a coherent one. And I think that's, that's the reason why we are building this coordination plane and why, why this problem becomes really important to solve. I think the first problem that Prefect solves is providing visibility into your data flows. So at any time, 
you, you, you should be able to confidently say what failed, what succeeded, what crashed, what got cancelled, and maybe if something got cancelled, who did that? And I think this visibility in, in to see um, is, is this foundation of data flow observability. You need to, you need to be confident that, that something that was critical to you actually worked. And once you actually have that visibility, you can add logic and configuration to more proactively configure how you want to react to specific data flow results. So for example, at the very least, you may want to know, um, you may, may want to have notifications so that when something happens, something fails, something crashes, something gets cancelled, you get an alert and you, you at least know that something is not right. And in general, I think with Prefect, we have this very helpful philosophy of incremental adoption, which means that you never have to use or learn more about the product than you actually need. So what it means in practice is that as your use case grows, you can just start adopting more features when you need them. And the basic setup is you install the Prefect client, which is essentially a Python library. You just do pip install Prefect. You connect to your Prefect Cloud account from a single CLI command, and you can start running your Python scripts, uh, which have a single flow decorator. And then it's already observable with Prefect. You gain this visibility. You can track its execution state in the UI. And there's, there's for example, additional components, which are, which are tasks. But it's actually enough if you only use flows. So flow is this main component and tasks are optional. So if you need more visibility and configurability, you can start using tasks only when you need them. And one specific use case that we often observe, for example, in our, with our users is that they may have observed their flow and they notice that there is some potential to speed up the process if, if you run some parts of this workflow concurrently or in parallel. And only then you have to learn about a feature that we have for parallelization, which, which are task runners. So this means that you, you didn't even have to learn what are task runners unless, unless you actually needed them. So I think this is really, really cool design philosophy that we have and a good constraint to some extent. Yeah, you know, I really like that feature too, because I work with a lot of data scientists and then um, also like just straight up biologists who come from a lab and maybe don't really want to have to code that much. And so throwing a tool at them that they have to really learn a lot of the tech is just, it's not going to work. Like it's its just not going to work. They, they don't care about the tool. They care about the science that they're doing, but being able to, you know, throw something at them and be like, okay, if you just put the small decorator on your Python function, um, when you're doing like your, whatever it is that you're doing, right. You're parsing your DNA or something like that really helps them to adopt, uh, you know, like some of these tools. So I found Prefect is really good as, I mean, both like a data workflow orchestrator, but also just as like an additional, almost like a scripting language where you just put it in and you give it to the scientists and you say, okay, here you go. But then this gives you some insight into your data flows as well. Exactly. So I, I think what you mentioned is also interesting. You mentioned you, you were working with this kind of like sensitive data, right? And what, uh, what Prefect has is, is this hybrid execution model. So when you work with this sensitive data, you, you can just use some SaaS product because you, you can like expose this data to a third party system. And uh, because of this problem, many, many practitioners decide to either self-host some tool on-prem or build some product entirely in-house. And 
what what prefect does is we provide this um, this secure environment where you can run your your flow and prefect doesn't even um, doesn't never sees your code or data. Um, so that's that's something that is really interesting. And in the topic of actually today's discussion with just the scheduled and event-driven data pipelines, you can imagine use cases where you where you run some workflows on-prem and maybe you, you want to trigger some, emit some event from this workflow and do perform some action based on this event. Like this, this would be possible very easily with cloud these days, right? Where you have different um, platforms such as AWS Lambda, Google Cloud Functions, etc. But if you if you want to combine it with some on-premise workflows, it becomes suddenly quite difficult to to combine that and gain this like visibility into both workflows which are running in cloud, event-driven, and workflows which are maybe scheduled and running on on-prem. Uh, so I think that's that's also a very interesting lens. Great. What about um, so we kind of started to talk a little bit about your blog post. There is a blog post. It will be in the show notes. It's on Medium. Um, in the Prefect blog, and it's scheduled versus event-driven data pipelines orchestrate anything with Prefect. Do you want to start to tell us a little bit about that blog post and like why you wrote it? What was the context for you writing it? Why did you feel like the world like needed to know specifically about this use case of Prefect? This is this is a very common engineering challenge that you 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 don't want to run only something on on schedule, but sometimes you want to run something based on something else happening. So um, I think this, 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 this use case that we dis described in this blog post is very common, that you want to trigger some workflow only when a new file arrives in S3. And it sounds like it's such a trivial problem to solve, but when you look at implementation, there are so many ways how you could approach it. So one of them is that uh, you, just, you just have a service that pulls, um, um, that checks periodically if this new file arrived in S3 and if then it just triggers some action. And if not, maybe you um, you sleep, wait, you know, and uh, try again um, in a couple of seconds or minutes. And already this, this kind of workload is, is, quite, is quite wasteful because on, on the one hand you are wasting resources uh, because you have this like long running service that you need to maintain. And on the, on the other hand, that um, is, is also not not very scalable. So imagine you have to do it for like hundreds of files and processes. Um, so those are kind of the challenges. And, and also there's this another perspective that what if this file didn't arrive at that expected time? You need to suddenly start building hacks such as pause execution and like checking states. And essentially you, you write code that has some expectations about the word and you're using this static definition and you need, you, you need to define in advance what you're going to do if those expectations are violated. So for example, do you fail the process if the file didn't arrive or do you wait and try again later? And in contrast, if you, if you approach this from this event-driven perspective, this process becomes suddenly much simpler because you, your code only runs when needed. And it's easier to troubleshoot, it's easier to define this expectation that you have. And, um, and also you can have this kind of SLA approach, right? Like what do you do in the absence of, of, of this even not happening? Yeah, it's great. I like, um, I like the definition of like, let's think about what we do when things go wrong, because it's one of those uh, tasks most of the engineers don't like to think about. But 
bad things, bad things happen when you don't, right? So of course, of course we all want to do that. Exactly. And I think like in general, there are those different design patterns, right? So uh, there is one, like when you do everything purely based on events, um, it's, co it's often called choreography, where you have this kind of like um, each component only reacts to specific events, messages or signals. And there is like no central uh, conductor, no central component that tells other processes what needs to happen and when. And I think this, this, this design approach is, is really great for some approach, for some use cases, but it's worse for other use cases where you have more predictable uh, workflows where uh, you know what, what will happen, you know what needs to happen, you know, you know, you know when it needs to happen. And I think this, this really interesting lens that you, you actually need both. You need orchestration and you need this uh, event-driven workflows, this kind of choreography type uh, design pattern working in tandem. Uh, to, to build something which is scalable, reliable, and um, just easy to maintain. Yeah, very cool. And then, um, I mean, with that, just in case anybody is wondering, you can still do the sort of typical scheduled workflows, right? Like, I want this to run at midnight every night from now until the end of time. We can do that with Prefect too, right? Exactly. So I think the, the distinction that is good to have is that scheduling is, is best for those more predictable and often batch processing workflows when you're generally clear about those expectations, uh, what needs to happen. So for example, you ingest some data, you then transform it. You then maybe run some data quality checks to ensure that this data is in, in expected format and schema. You may then update some reports or generate some metrics or trigger some reverse ETL, uh, trigger machine learning process, etc. So I think like this, this scheduling um, approach is, is often really desirable because it makes, makes things easy, you know, like, you know, that this process roughly uh, runs every day at, at 2 a.m. And then it runs for like five hours. So that's 7 a.m. Uh, this workflow is ready, uh, which, which uh, took uh, a couple of hours to run. And it makes it easy to reason about, but it, it's, it's not suitable for everything. And I think like an uh, interesting perspective is like if, you, if we look at some process end to end. So for example, um, let's say you have some um, anomaly detection uh, process based on machine learning. Um, so for example, uh, you would start with uh, maybe processing some images to train uh, this model, right? You would just pre-process your data, you would generate your model, and then like you have this but you need to like, really fit it into the whole process. Like, um, you like your, your ingestion transformation like, might need to start first, but then you need to uh, you know, um, uh, trigger this something more advanced uh, later on. So I just, just combining those different patterns together uh, is where, where combination of scheduled and event-driven really shines. Because for example, once you have this model, you may want to serve it based on events. So for example, if new user from, from your application uploads a file, you may want to generate prediction whether there's anomaly there or not. And suddenly you need this event-driven approach. So I think this combination is really, really nice. Yeah, that's all great. What kind of industries are you seeing this take off in? Um, I know I'm in biotech and I've seen a ton of companies adopting Prefect and Prefect Cloud, but I'm wondering what other industries are out there that are using it. So I, I'm, I'm not sure if, if this is um, industry dependent. I think like um, to some extent, I see it um, across industries um, that 
almost everyone has scheduled some something that runs on schedule and something that needs to run only when something happens. Uh, so it's it would be hard. I think there are definitely use cases that are better suited for certain industry as and uh, like require dedicated tools. But that's also something that is I think great about our product is that it's it's so unopinionated that you can actually reflect those different use cases and industries in a single tool. So like essentially, I think a good way that that we we solve here is that we give a choice how you want to build data flows, and we don't just give one way to do it. Like you you have always options. You always can uh, change your design later on. It's adaptable and. Uh, you can, we essentially give those building blocks and you can decide what you do with them. Very neat. Yeah, I know it's um, it's not like a tool that's specific to any industry. I was just wondering if any any in particular had jumped on it the way that I've seen biotech, uh, like definitely has jumped on it, which is which is all good, all good things. Yeah, so I think like in general, this orchestration is such a um, such an interesting problem, right? Um, that like almost everyone needs needs to have retries when something fails, and this is like industry independent. <laughs> you always you always need alerts when something fails. Um, you always uh, needs to like ensure that your machine can actually handle your workflow. So maybe you need some concurrency limits. Uh, so uh, there are those different use cases that I think orchestration is universal. I'm so happy that we're finally talking about data on the show. I know I brought this up before the show, but sometimes we'll be talking about something and I'm, you know, clearly they're not uh, mentioning the data in their blog post or whatever it is that we're discussing, but I'm thinking about the data and then I have, I have opinions. So it's nice that we're having a show that, you know, that we're talking all about the data. So speaking of opinions, maybe what was your opinion about observability and like, uh, do, do you have like um, some like, do, do, do you like how this, this, this space is evolving? Uh, yeah, it's so much easier to do things like this now and to have these really um, like HIPAA and GXP compliant workflows because part of the deal with HIPAA compliance, that's like a, a type of uh, healthcare data compliance that's pretty common throughout biotech is that you do have to have observability into your data and your processes and your pipelines. And you need to make sure that you are keeping data and that you're not losing data is a big one. Um, and then like, if you have these kind of workflow runners, they need to be, a lot of times they need to be like siloed and private because you can't have, you know, bits of data, um, you know, touching other types of data, or, you know, if you have like different studies or different patients, the data has to be siloed off. Or if you're doing, if you're a biotech company that does like analysis as a service, you have to have like separate workflow runners. So, I mean, all of these are good things for being able to run, you know, like HIPAA compliant and GXP style workflows, because then it's kind of built into the system, right? You can say, okay, we know that it, we know that the the process completed and that the data was written to the database because we we have this data pipeline here in, you know, Prefect, or I suppose you could uh, choose another one for kind of the purpose of argument and say, okay, like, like here it is. So for example, one of my favorite stories with that is during COVID, there was a company in the UK that was being, um, they were getting like funding to record contact and trace data, right? And they were using an Excel sheet and the Excel spreadsheet went to, I don't remember how many thousands of rows it goes to, but then it would just stop and the data would stop being written. And I think like, well, what if they were using something, you know, like a, a data pipeline where we made sure that the data was being actually written properly to probably not a spreadsheet, right? Like a database and then there was like a count and then you could actually like have just a quick check to say, 
okay, we wrote this data. Let's let's just check and make sure that it's there, right? So that would be your kind of, uh, you know, sanity check, I suppose. Like I always like to put those in any of my data pipelines where, you know, I think something happened and then I have sort of like a test within the pipeline, you know, kind of like the way that software engineers write their software tests. I'll actually put a test to say, okay, like this did happen, right? I didn't, I didn't hallucinate this. This really is here and we have this data and it should look something like this and this is the way that it should be. So I like the fact that you can have those all within the data pipeline. And then when you get the observability, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully nobody's getting any very big fines for saying they're HIPAA compliant and then uh, losing data, right? That's, that's the thing that we're always afraid of, at least in biotech. Yeah, that's that's the hope. Yeah, and definitely Excel. Excel is not a database, right? That's that's what we learned from the story. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think that also interesting perspective is that how many different kinds of observability are there, right? So I think if you ask ten different people what what do you think means observability, they will give you a different answer, and. I think one part of it is because there are so many different kinds of observability, like one of it is this application observability, where we are tracking uh, metrics, traces, logs, and like how things are performing over time. So for example, number of API requests with an error status code, etc. But like when you look at the data observability, you want to ensure, as you mentioned, that your data is in expected format. Your data is of the right quality. It has the right schema. The volume uh, changes, how, how volume changes over time. You, you need to ensure that, that it all makes sense. But this is this data observability, which is completely different from application observability and application monitoring. But then on the other hand, is the, the problem that Prefix solves is, solves is this data flow observability, where you have um, changes to flow and task run orchestration states, um, maybe calls on your on your uh, blocks uh, or just essentially things that reflects what happened in the user's data stack at a specific time and something that you want to observe and take action on to drive orchestration. So for example, when your Databricks job completed, you want to start your DBT cloud job. You know, and you need to make sure that you only start this once this finished, you know, or the same like with maybe five trend data ingestion or um, custom scraper that you built just in pure Python and orchestrated with Prefect. So I think like having different tools for those different kinds of observability and also uh, having, for example, Prefect for data flow observability um, helps to solve this problem. Uh, but definitely, it's, it's probably a challenge that we that we still need to solve as industry in the in the next years. <laughs> hey there, this is Charles Maxwood. I'm excited because I wanted to let you know about this thing that I pulled together that I had just I've been dying to have this for years, and I never felt like I could. And then I just realized that there's no reason why I can't. So um, I'm putting together a book club, and we're going to read development-focused books, career books, you know, uh, technical books, whatever. The first book that we're going to do is going to be Clean Architecture by Uncle Bob Martin. If you're not familiar with Clean Code or some of the other stuff that Bob has done, check that out. I've also talked to him on the Clean Coders podcast, which is on Top End Devs. But uh, yeah, we're going to get on. He's going to show up to some of our meetings. And what I'm thinking is we'll probably have like five or six people uh, part of the conversation along with Bob and I at the same time. And we'll just, uh, so somebody can come on, they can ask their question. And then we'll just ro rotate people through. So we'll 
will mute one person, unmute another person when it's their turn to come on and, and be part of the discussion. So we'll do that for like an hour, hour and a half. And then the other part of it that I'm putting together is just kind of a meet and greet gather area on Gather Town. And so after the the meetup and the call, what we'll do is we'll all go over to Gather Town and you can just log in, walk up to a group and have a conversation. And that way we can all kind of get to know each other and, and make friends and, and get to know people across the world. Uh, one thing that I'm finding is that, yeah, the meetups are starting to come back, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to a meetup. And I really want to meet you guys and talk to you. So we're going to put all that together. It'll all be part of that book club. You can go to topendevs.com slash book club to be part of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. The first book club meeting will be in December, the beginning of December. We're starting the first week of December. And um, you'll also be part of the conversation about which book we do next. I have one in mind, but I want to see where everybody's at. So there you go. Yeah, I definitely think it's interesting. I mean, different people are trying to, um, you know, to solve it in different ways, especially when you look at the, like the data observability versus the, you know, application observability. Um, I haven't like quite dug into it, but I saw that there was a blog post somewhere about, getting prefect and the library great expectations, which allows you to like make kind of assumptions, I would say about your data, like give it a data set, great expectations will create a set of assumptions about your data. And then you can kind of test those assumptions against uh, future data sets, I suppose. And how that would integrate with prefect. And uh, just in general, I've seen prefect integrates with a lot of the kind of you know, PyData ecosystem and a lot of the tools that are out there. I mostly use it with Dask because that's just kind of, that's just kind of like what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis is using like Prefect and Dask and um, just trying to get things to run like as quickly as possible. But I, I am seeing lots of other tools out there as well. Absolutely. And also like with, with this, um, observability and, um, data quality monitoring, you have also those different kinds of way how you can approach it from this perspective of whether you do it actively or passively. So for example, um, data quality checks is something that you very actively have to implement. You need to actually go ahead and first inspect your data, define like wh what you expect from your data, right? And then like encode it as your data quality check, embed it into your data flow and um, maybe schedule it. So this is this kind of active, this control part, and this is also part of orchestration. Um, you need to actually make sure that this, this runs at the right time and when it's, when it's needed. But there is also this passive mode of orchestration where you just, uh, of, sorry, of observability, where you, where you just want to see how things, um, how things change over time, what is happening currently right now in your, in your stack, and also maybe use, use different different tools for that purpose. So for example, when you look at, um, let's say Datadog, you can, you can see those different metrics traces, um, um, possibly like you, you don't need to like actively go and like, okay, what is, what is the current CPU threshold on, on this machine? Right. Um, and the same, for example, let's say Monte Carlo, Monte Carlo also takes this, uh, passive approach to data observability where you just, um, connect your, your data warehouse to the platform and you, um, you can just start observing it passively without doing anything. Um, so those different modes uh, probably also help to, um, to get different lenses of observability. Yeah, I do want to say run a count, everybody. Run count, okay? You have, you have a data pipeline. 
you should know how many how many records of data you should have at the end, I would think, for the most part. How many null help. values, uh, yeah. Yeah, things like that. For sure. Yeah, that's great. Um, do we have anything else we want to talk about for uh, the event versus event driven versus scheduled pipelines? Because I wanted to talk about like the workflow orchestration as well, because I think Prefect has a really interesting model for that. Or whatever yes. else you want to talk about. It's your show. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think with, with this this kind of um, observability lenses, what, what's what's really fascinating to me is that you have a lot of you have many platforms these days that allow you to collect metadata about your execution, right? You you collect metadata about your data. You collect metadata about your data flow, but often they they just provide you only with this. State of state of the world where you can maybe see how things work um, in in a dashboard, but you cannot do anything with it. Like they, they actually stop at this point where you where you can only see, let's say that uh, this this failed and okay it does great, but you need to actually take manually action to to do something with it. And what what is interesting to me is to actually take it one step farther and take automated action. So for example. You observe that that this workflow failed. Maybe you need to uh, cancel this another process that depends on it. You know, so, so kind of like we often see people, for example, uh, just going into real time from from batch. You know, they, they say, "Oh, we need to switch to real time." But like, what's the, what's the purpose? What problem are you trying to solve? If if all you want to do is to just stare at your dashboard more frequently, you know, or maybe uh, see the numbers changing, uh, changing faster. It's, it may not be like the right, the right motivation to, to, to do it. But if you want to actually take automated action based on what you observe, based on what's happening, then those, those event-driven and real-time systems become uh, important and really drive value to, to the business. So I think this, this kind of aspect of, of making it actionable is, 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 important. So do you mean to tell me that if I just have the big TV up with the dashboard so that when my boss thinks in and they think I'm doing stuff, that might not be the way to go? No. No? No? Okay. All my years in IT lied to me. Okay. Um, all right. I have to adjust my worldview for that one a little bit. Have you ever been in like an office where they just have like the big TVs with all the dashboards that nobody ever actually looks at? I, I was. I was. And I was always fascinated why. I agree. I was too. It's, uh, I don't know just for show and to make it look like we're doing stuff. Yeah. And maybe maybe also before we, we move on to orchestration, like one important aspect also of, of, of this like taking action is often you don't want to only take action based on what's what's happening, but also if something doesn't happen, right? So for example, you have this critical job that you, you need like it it must be executed by by nine AM. For example, this critical sales table should be updated every morning by nine AM. And if it's not, maybe automatically open a new support ticket in Monday or Jira or notify people because it's really critical that this finishes by 9 a.m. So this is also something where you need to take action very quickly, but it's not kind of event that you, you know, just like fire and like do some, some, something immediately. It's more proactive that you need to actually look at the system as a whole um, and see, okay, th the expectation is that this must finish by 9 a.m. And if not, take some automated action. Yeah, I think it's always really important to kind of identify uh, where the computer can help and where 
a person needs to jump in and start saying, okay, like what's what's happening here? What do we need to do? So over these kind of jobs, like you said, this this job has to go by 9 a.m. and it's not, um, I don't know, start ringing the bell until somebody until somebody figures out why. For sure, for sure. Sometimes a conversation can can solve more problems than than any automated process. Okay, Jonathan is is back. Are you back now? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, guys, we haven't like kicked Jonathan off the show or anything. He's just having technical difficulties. So, speaking of observability, I really wish I could look at the logs for my router because I have no idea what's wrong with my network right now. <laughs> I don't know either. Exactly. So you need a dashboard of how your router. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Start pushing data through and see like how fast it goes, and that's your new prefect dashboard. Oh, we, we don't do dashboard yet, but th that's that's a good idea. I will take it as a feature request. <laughs> ah, okay. You mean this type of dashboard? I thought like you mean you actually visualize your 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 router logs. <laughs> oh no, no, no. I was just I was just saying that in case Jonathan needs a new project, he can make he can make that. <laughs> Maybe he could use Prefect as the back end. I am actually using Prefect as the back end for my latest like open source project that I'm trying to get companies to throw some cash at my way for. And uh, so far they're not, so far they're not, but I'm sure they will one of these days. And then I'll give you guys all the accolades that you deserve. After, after they watch this, uh, listen to this podcast, they will, they will be on board. That's right. That's right. I don't know if any of my clients listen to the podcast. I know, well, I know like a couple of them do, but not, um, It's more like my peers rather than specifically my clients. I don't know. Uh, so I guess the other thing with Prefect that I wanted to talk about that I think was a pretty big jump from other kind of workflow, data workflow managers that I've seen is this idea that the code doesn't necessarily have to live with the orchestrator. And what I mean by that is like, uh, let's take something like Airflow and like, I'm, I'm not ragging on Airflow, right? Like I love Airflow. I still use it quite a bit. Uh, most of my clients have jumped over to Prefect, but you know that's uh, that's life, right? But one of the things that always really frustrated me with Airflow is that the code kind of had to live within Airflow, so there had to be some way of getting it on there, which over time became more complicated than it should have, especially uh, when I was working with data scientists and they weren't really great at things, you know, like CI, CD, or running tests or this kind of stuff, because often they would just want to throw all their Python libraries in there, our li libraries are in there or whatever. And they may or may not play nice with like the Airflow core or whatever other like plugins or libraries or anything like that that we had going on. So one of the things that I really liked about Prefect is that um, you can run from like multiple kind of locations and it's sort of like built in there, right? You can run from like a Docker file. You can just run from like Python code, which is still probably what I do the most, but I, I like having options because uh, because I do. And um, I can't think of any other ones right now. Are there other options besides you can remotely host, uh, you can have like remote storage. So your data doesn't have to go to Prefect, Prefect kind of will call your data from a remote, like let's say a remote S3 location or a remote Docker image, all that kind of stuff. Am I missing anything there? Yes, I think you described it really well. So I think one kind of paradigm is taking code from um, from GitHub, from from your, your like code repository. Another one is to baking code into your Docker image. Um, so your, your code lives where all your dependencies uh, live together. 
And the third pattern is, is this using cloud storage packets, so S3, GCS, Azure, a blob storage, uh, where you can just upload your code and Prefect will retrieve it at runtime um, so that there's still this, this barrier that Prefect never sees your code. It just like grabs it when it needs and it only needs this metadata, this pointer of where your code lives. And that's everything we need. We just need to know where, where, where your code exists and you can just change it later if you want to. Maybe, maybe you started with GitHub, but then you notice like your team is doing monorepo and it doesn't work. You need to maybe split it into different repositories or maybe switch to cloud storage bucket. And you can very easily switch between those different uh, blocks. So I think in general, like uh, this concept of blocks is really where Prefect shines. So you have those modular building blocks where you can piece together to, to, to create your deployment. So you, you may start with, as you said, you have the storage block that defines where your code lives. Then you have your infrastructure block that defines where your code should be executed. It could be a serverless container, it could be a Kubernetes job, it could be just a local process on a VM, and you can very flexibly switch between those when needed. So for example, you may just run everything on Kubernetes right now, but maybe at some point you realize, oh, you don't have the resources to maintain this Kubernetes cluster. So you could switch to a serverless container infrastructure block and just keep keep using the same workflows. Like you don't need to change your code. You don't need to really change your process. You just point to a different to a different block. And um, the, the reason that it works is actually because all those components are API first. So you define your blocks via API and you can also change it via, via API call. And that's, I think this API versus is, is critical to, to enable such flexible patterns. Yeah, I have to say that's, that's one of my favorite parts because I know like the, um, or one of my favorite aspects of Prefect because I know like all my clients want to do slightly different things and you would think like, oh, it wouldn't be that difficult to incorporate this slightly different thing until you actually try to do it. And then you realize that it is, in fact, going to be a major pain if somebody wants to do S3 and somebody else wants to do GitHub and somebody else wants to store their code in Docker. So I've always liked that. Yeah. And, and the worst part is they, like many tools, they, they force you to actually rewrite your code to, to switch between different things, you know, like often, I think we, we, we've seen in, in the past that um, this many products adopted this workflow as code uh, philosophy and Prefect took it one step further and adopted this code as a workflow approach. So we kind of assume that you're, you, you already defined your logic in code. Why would you need to rewrite it for orchestration? Your code is already like the best representation of a workflow and that's, that's all we need. Uh, so no need for any uh, branching DSL, just write native Python if else and use a for loop or while loop where needed. And also based on your, on your code and your stack, you, you define your, those modular building blocks and you can use them to, to express how, how this code should behave. Like whether we need to grab this code from, from S3 or from GitHub, or whether we should run it on ECS or on Kubernetes, uh, it's very, can be adjusted anytime without modifying the code. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the ECS because I'm cheap. I'm too cheap to be running Kubernetes clusters all the time, right? I want my Fargate, I want my AWS batch Fargate clusters. Yeah, EC, ECS Fargate is, is probably underestimated in, in how much you can do with this, right? So like no need to manage any clusters here. You just register your task definition and you can run your container 
And it can be anything. It can be a long-running data processing job. It can be an application. You can create a service to ensure that this container is running 24-7 without disruption. So this is definitely a very, very flexible service. And we see so many community users and so many enterprise clients adopting ECS Fargate. And um, I think in general, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of serverless. And I really, uh, I'm really happy to see that other cloud vendors also started adopting this, uh, this approach. So if you look at, for example, Azure, Azure now has Azure container instances, which allows you to do essentially the same what ECS Fargate does. And they actually also kind of improve this by adding GPUs. So you can actually run a container serverless with GPU, which is, which is quite unique. I haven't seen it in any other cloud vendors yet. So that's, that's very, very interesting uh, progression. And on Google, you have Cloud Run. So Cloud Run uh, job could be kind of a container that you just run. And Cloud Run service could be to, to serve applications based on your requests and yeah. Very cool. I didn't know that about um, that Azure had, you know, you can use GPU with your serverless functions. That's very neat. I don't think AWS has that. I think with AWS, I think you're still limited to like 32 gigs or something like that on Fargate. Although, I don't know, it gets improved all the time. So I'm sure at some point they'll throw more on there. Yeah, so AWS has, has um, as you said, they, they've, they've, they've even increased the CPU, but GPU is still not there, unfortunately. There, there is an open issue. I, I hope they, like, they, will, they will pick up. Um, but for now, no GPUs on, on Fargate. All right, there we go, guys. We have an issue to go vote on. We all want GPUs on AWS Fargate, I guess. Yes. Yeah, so I was thinking, um, I know another really interesting aspect of Prefect, at least for me, is that you get this kind of parallel computing and concurrency without really having to code it in. So you don't have to set up um, thread queues or you know, run GNU parallel or like whatever MPI. You don't have to write MPI. Let's stick with that. You don't have to write MPI. <laughs> to be able to have like multi-threaded code that runs concurrently. Prefect is just kind of smart enough, especially with Prefect 2.0, that it can kind of figure out, like if you're running a for loop, for example, it will just, it can automatically parallelize that, right? And I'm wondering like what black magic happened so that it can do that because I find that very interesting. Yeah, we have we have excellent engineers. So I think um, um, Michael Atkins and um, Chris Pickett are, are people who are, building this. So uh, kudos to them. I think I also think it's quite magical that you don't need to think about this. You just define which task runner you want to use. Do you want to run it on Dask? Okay, no, no problem. Just specify this task runner. You can optionally point it to an existing cluster uh, so that you don't have to create one on demand. And the same with Ray. Do you want to switch from Dask to Ray? No problem. Just change this task runner. And concurrent one is, is uh, particularly interesting because especially in data engineering, we have so many workflows that depend on IO. So you are extracting data from, from some systems, which is, which is IO operation. You're loading it to somewhere else. So like automating it this way, uh, with just concurrent task runner, which is out of the box, the default setting is, is really, is really nice so that you, you don't even have to maintain task or Ray if you want to uh, take advantage of this concurrency, uh, which, which we have out of, the, out of the box with async support. And also I think with async, that's also worth noting that 
um, you can very easily switch between synchronous and asynchronous execution. Um, this is also something where you don't need to think about. You just define async if you want to, if you want asynchronous execution, um, and both just work. Uh, there's also kind of magic that um, is worth noting. Yeah, I think that's very cool. I haven't jumped that much into the async Python world. Um, I know it's used quite a bit in like some of the API libraries too, like fast API and things. So I know I'm like a couple years behind the times on that, but I'll just I'll just keep using Dask until I don't know. I'll I'll shut the door and turn off the lights behind me. I guess when I'm the last one out when it comes to that. What about um, I haven't used Ray at all. How is that? Like, are people adopting that? What is it being used for? I know it's like kind of a high performance machine learning library, but how is how is that being used with Prefect? So we, we, we have several users who, who who started adopting Ray. Um, I don't have any data right now at hand to to tell you how many users started uh, using it, but I think I think Ray is very promising. Um, like there there are great engineers who are working on on continuously improving this this um, this this product. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. And I think actually the best part is that you don't need to worry about it if you don't need to, right? You, 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 if everything works great for you with Dask, you don't need to learn about async. You don't need to learn about Ray. Like it, it, it exists there when you need it and if you need it. But until then, you can just be happy with Dask and Prefect. <laughs> I mean that's true, but I'm also an engineer with shining object syndrome, so I don't I don't like really know how long that's gonna last for me. But uh, you are you are factually correct at least. I don't yeah. actually have to worry about Ray and async and all this kind of stuff. But it is nice to know it's there for me when I need it when I get uh, if I do more of like a machine learning machine learning library uh, kind of approach. Yeah, so I think one good way to just get started with it is just 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 try out this Ray task runner. And just just replace Dask with Ray and see how it works. Uh, see the Ray dashboard, and you can uh, you can see whether you like it. That is a good idea. That is a good idea. I've been thinking about uh, trying to see if like more machine learning could be applied to some kind of next generation sequencing techniques. Like if you can get the similar same results in more or less time, because often people are generating so much data, and there are these kind of tried and true methods that people use. But what if what if there was another way? What if there was another way that was faster and you got like the same or similar results? Um, but that's that's like a research. I think that's a research project for another day. But if if I do it, I'll probably do it with, you know, Prefect and Dask and Ray and all this kind of stuff. And then I think before the show, we were talking a little bit about kind of open source software and your involvement in that. Um, we're all pretty big proponents of open source software. On the show, how did Prefect decide to be, you know, at least the, the Prefect software, right, is all open source. And then there's this kind of, uh, you know, like hosted version that you can sign up for. And obviously that's paid because AWS costs money, people. It costs a lot of money. But, you know, how did how did that all come about? We we operate in this PyData space. And I think just being being available there as, as open source, it, it really helps even with, with distribution. People can can easily find it. Um, and and also like purely from from this perspective of just learning this as a new tool, you just install this library, uh, you start using it, you, you start you can see whether it, whether it solves the problem that you are trying to solve, and then you can decide whether you you want to uh, buy this this cloud product or not. I think this 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 testability, this this flexibility of like 
what you, what you can do with with open source is 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 like something that that changed so many things right like can you can you imagine living without postgres uh, it's, it's like hard to imagine the industry without it so i think this this um just just getting started and like incorporating it with other tools is is like where where open source really helps yeah i've also found over the last few years you know you're talking about the pydata space it seems that everybody is trying to get into the pydata space and also make their tools you know so that they play well with the other tools in the pydata space um you know specifically so that there is quite easy adoption among the different tools and so that you know, if you get one tool to work, well, then you have the feature sets from all the other tools as well. And I think that's really important for, um, you know, adoptability and maintenance and all that kind of thing. And when you want to ensure that those tools are working well together, you you get, you, you install Prefect. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Install Prefect for all the things. So where can people go if they want to get help with Prefect? They're like, all right, cool, I'm sold. Where Where do they go? So the, the first part where they can find us is prefect.io. That's, that's our website. We have also Slack. So prefect.io slash Slack is where you can join our Slack community. You can ask any questions. You can also find me there. Apart from that, we have Discourse. So discourse.prefect.io um, is where you can also find answers to, to existing questions. You can find lots of resources to get started. And finally, of course, our GitHub. So you can find our GitHub repository. You can submit any feature request, bug report, if there are any. <laughs> Is there also a discourse forum? I thought maybe there was for a bit, but I don't, I don't know how much that's kind of maintained or whatnot, or it's still around. I'm actually the one maintaining that. <laughs> so ah, okay, there we go. <laughs> so discourse.prefect.io is where, where, where I'm around all the time. Okay, that's always good to know. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to add or any points, anything important or not so important that we didn't get to? So maybe kind of as a message, like just don't get overwhelmed by the amount of tools that are out there. Just just always um, look at like what problem are you trying to solve and see um, what's what what tool can you help accomplish your, your goal? Um, and of course, as a call to action, trial prefect, just install it, uh, see how it goes and ask any questions if you if you have on Slack or Discourse. Cool, great. Okay, I think, um, all right. Well, I think we are all ready to move to picks. Have you ever wished that you had a group of people that were just as passionate about writing code as you are? I know I did. I did that for most of my career. I'd go to the meetups. I'd try and create other opportunities. And it was just really hard, right? The meetups, I got some of that, but they were only like once or twice a month. And it was just really hard to find that group of people that I connected with and, and really wanted to, you know, talk about code a lot, right? I mean, I love writing code. I think it's the best. And so I've decided to create this community and create it a worldwide community that we can all jump in and do it. So we're going to have two workshops every week. One of those or two of those every month are going to be Q&A calls, right, where you can get on, you can ask me or me and another expert questions. Uh, the rest of them are going to be focused on different aspects of career or programming or things like that, right? So it'll go anywhere from like deployments and containers all the way up to managing your 401k and negotiating your benefits package. Well, we'll cover all of it, okay? 
And then we're also going to have meetups every month for your particular technology area. So we have shows about JavaScript, React, Angular, Vue, and so on. We're going to have meetups for all of those things. I'm going to revive the freelancer show. We'll have one about that, right? So you can get started freelancing or continue freelancing if that's where you're at. And I'm working on finding authors who can actually do weekly video tutorials on some thing for 10 minutes that's related, to, again, to those technology areas so that you can stay current, keep growing. So if you're interested, go to topendevs.com slash sign up and you can get in right now for $39. When we're done, that price is going to go up to $75. And the $39 price gets you access to two calls per week. The The full price at $150, which is going to be $75 over the next few weeks, that price is going to get you access to all of the calls and all of the tutorials and everything else that we put out from Top End Devs along with member pricing for our remote conferences that are coming up next year. So go check it out, topendevs.com slash sign up. Jonathan, are you there? You look, you look kind of frozen. Oh, no, he's not there. He's frozen. I know, he's frozen. I don't know what we're going to do because only one of us, by the way, has like the ability to, to press the record button and the stop record button. And that person is Jonathan today. So the show is the show is just going to go on forever without him. So I guess that's what we're doing. Uh, moving on over into American Thanksgiving. <laughs> very, very cool. I loved it. Oh, he's back. Jonathan, you want to do your pick while you're here? Or do you want to like conserve your energy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see if I stick around long enough to, to actually say something here. Yeah, we'll see. So my pick for the week is Transistor.fm. Because I had a feature request <laughs> from them, and it was—it's kind of a funny story. I hope I can get it said before I, I drop off again. Uh, I, I emailed their their support and said, "Hey, I I would like to be able to upload a transcript to my podcast through your API. Is this possible? Can it, or what would it take to make it possible?" And they replied less than two hours later, said, "Sorry, that's not a that's not an option. Uh, we've had a few people request it. We may add that feature in the future with some other API improvements." I was like, all right, great. So I started shopping around for other podcast hosts that would let me do this. The next day, they wrote back and said, we've added that feature. Would you test it for us? <laughs> That's pretty cool. So uh, they've added the feature. It works. So I'm in the process of uh, automating my my podcast uploading, uh, including transcripts. Uh, but I thought that was pretty great customer service. I mean, dis- despite their first uh, response saying, sorry, we don't do that. Uh, in the end, they got it done faster than I could have expected. Uh, so that's cool. So that's my first pick. And my second pick, uh, sh- hashtag shameless self plug, is a package I wrote to talk to Transistor's API in Go. So if you're a Go programmer and you want to talk to Transistor.fm's API, you can use my new little package that does that. It's called uh, gitlab.com slash flimsy, that's with a Z, slash transistor. So those are my two picks for the week. Cool. Anna, do you have a pick? Yes, I do. So I'm a movie fan, so my picks will be movies. Um, I will just say my two favorite movies of the year so far. Uh, the first one was Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Uh, you've, you've probably watched it. Um, I think it's it's just a great story. It's it's funny, visual, touching. It doesn't have like this typical movie arc. It's quite different and refreshing. And the second pick is Top Gun Maverick. It kind of exceeded my expectations when it comes to this movie. 
um, like I, I didn't expect it to be good, like a follow up after 30 years, uh, but it was like really, really good um, without feeling unnatural, um, great action scenes, not boring at all. Um, so yeah, it, those are my, my two picks. Cool, great, Rem. Um, I think I'm gonna pick American Thanksgiving is tomorrow, and I'm actually pretty excited for that because for the first time since COVID started and all the like crazy supply chain issues, I can actually find all the things that my kids want because as it turns out, my kids are uh, considerably pickier than I am. But this year we got all the things. We have like turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes and stuff to make pumpkin pie. Uh, so I'm pretty excited for all that. And I guess for a, you know, for a tech pick, what the hell, I'll pick Prefect. I actually do use it quite a bit. This isn't me just like being nice on the show. I do use it on an almost daily basis or like, you know, when I'm writing code anyways, I, I do tend to use Prefect quite a bit. And I really do like it as both a workflow orchestrator and even like just uh, an additional add-on to kind of any of my ETL sort of pipelines. I like the, the logging and the um the like hey stupid this failed message i like i like those very explicit for me because you know sometimes you're busy and you need those um and then i guess i'll pick the dragon prince again the fourth season i might have picked it last week i don't remember if i didn't it's a really good show it's on netflix i've been watching it with my kids we've been like binge watching it and it's uh something that kind of the whole family likes which is very very difficult to find something that my eight-year-old, my 11-year-old, I like, the husband likes, everybody likes it. So that's it. Those those are the picks. Anybody have any kind of last minute remarks? Yeah, I can't wait to listen to this episode to hear everything I missed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jonathan, with your pick though, I kind of I kind of feel like the mystery of why Jonathan is getting kicked off of Riverside has been solved. Um, so I would just, maybe I would just keep that one in mind. That was why I started laughing is because we're on a different podcast host and I don't know. I thought that it was funny. I, yeah, I don't think anybody's DOSing me because, uh, of my pick, uh, certainly not before, before the fact, but, uh, if, yeah, if but so, how, that how would how make for a very interesting episode in the future to, to debug that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to figure that out. All cool. right, everybody. Um, well, until next week. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.